I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with a particular topic. And today I'm pleased to have back on the program Ron Sellers, the president of Gray Matter Research and Consulting. Ron Sellers and I discuss a new study his organization has done in conjunction with Infinity Concepts. And that study is called Understanding Evangelical mid-level donors. Now, before we jump into that interview, I just want to note that in the show notes for today's program, you can find a link to this study. It's more than 70 pages long. There's a lot of great information there. So just uh, hit the link in the show notes, uh, either in your podcast app or on our website, and you can look at the entire study there. This is a conversation and a study that I think is going to be really helpful for both ministry leaders and for donors to ministry. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, Ron Sellers, welcome back to the program. I have in hand your robust study (laughs) uh, about mid-level givers, and let's start off with just a few definitional questions. How do y'all define a uh, sort of a mid-range or a mid-level giver? Well, it, uh, it has to do with not just how much they give, but how much they give to one specific organization. So if they either have given a single gift in the past 12 months of $1,000 or more to one organization, or they've given cumulatively $1,500 or more to one organization, then we define them as a mid-level donor. Now, many of these folks are gonna be giving much more than that, but uh, those are the minimums for them to qualify as a mid-level donor. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people listening, Ron, might be surprised that that number is so low, that um, that if you give $1,000 to a ministry, you have really kind of percolated from, you know, from just the general file up to a group that most ministries, even large ministries, should be giving special treatment to, and many ministries are giving special treatment to. Well, and you'll find that that definition varies quite a bit from organization to organization. Some will have an 18-month window instead of 12 months or maybe a two-year window. Some will have higher thresholds for uh, what is a a mid-level donor. And then on the top end of that, uh, once people have given a certain amount, they, they sort of graduate into what the organization will consider to be major donors. And that the same thing happens at the top end, which is different organizations. You know, one organization might consider a $5,000 giver to be a major donor. Another organization might say that it's 10 or 20,000. So this, this varies a lot from organization to organization, but in working with our partners on this study, uh, BBS and associates, this is one of the more common definitions that they see used by, by their clients. And they work with many different ministries uh, and so we decided to go ahead and use this as the, the definition for this study. This is the be-all and end-all of definitions that any other definition being used is wrong. That's certainly not the case. Well, no, I get that, but I actually find that to be a pretty reasonable definition. I've worked for, you know, in the last 15 years, I've worked for 
uh, Ministry Watch, the Colson Center, and World Magazine. And, you know, we, I think, and we were fairly different sides. I mean, Ministry Watch does less than a million dollars a year. Uh, The Colson Center right now is probably doing four or five million dollars a year. And uh, World Magazine does about ten million dollars a year. And I think they all kind of considered those numbers. I mean, if you were given a thousand dollars a year, you, at a minimum, were considered a mid-level, and we might even consider you a mid-major donor if you were given $2,500 to $5,000 a year. So that seems like a pretty reasonable definition. I say that, I, I belabor this point, Ron, in part so our listeners will understand that if uh, you know if you are giving $1,000 a year to a ministry, you, you're one of their significant givers. And um, you know you, I, I think that that relationship really is a two-way street. I think that the donor should know that and should, um, you know, I think maybe uh, expect that the organization um, should be able to answer questions and to engage with them in more personal ways. And on the other hand, I think that the ministry ought to know that as well and know that um, uh, what follows in our conversation, Ron, is going to be particularly relevant to them because I think you've got some really great advice. And um, one of the key findings of your study is the first one I want to talk to, and that is that mid-major givers or mid-level givers are not the richest givers, but they are the most generous givers. Uh, Can you say more about that idea? Well, generosity is a measure that we've used in a variety of studies in the past. And what it really means is it's simply a calculation of how much you give versus how much income you have. Because who's more generous? Somebody who earns $40,000 a year and gives $1,000 or somebody who earns $200,000 a year and gives $2,000? Certainly the $2,000 is a larger number but it represents far less of that individual's assets or income than $1,000 for a $40,000 donor. So we we measure generosity, which is totally separate from the amounts given. It's the percentage of your income that's being given away. And when we, we do find that very low income people are very rarely mid-level donors, they, they just don't have the assets and, and that's perfectly understandable. But there's there's this uh, stereotype that the mid-level donors, the major donors are all people who are fairly wealthy. And, and that simply is not true. If we normalize income, meaning we look at the same level of income among smaller donors and mid-level donors, what we find is that mid-level donors are giving at a much more generous rate above 5% on average of their income is going to the, to uh, ministries and nonprofits outside of a local church if they also support a local church. Whereas for the typical evangelical donor, it's dramatically lower than that. It's in the 1% to 1.5% range, even when we look at people of the same income as the mid-level donors. Yeah. One of the findings that in your study is that the median income of these donors, these mid-level donors, is about $115,000 a year. And you say, while that's not peanuts, there aren't a lot of Bentley sitting in the driveways of people that make $115,000 a year. So it's, you know, like you say, not poverty, but also not super wealthy either. That's that's exactly right. And I think it, for um for the nonprofits and the ministries out there, what that means is they don't always have to go out and look for wealthier people. 
they need to look for more generous people and they need to do things to try to foster generosity among their donors. And for the typical donor out there, what this also means is you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be somebody who's earning a quarter million dollars or half a million dollars a year to be able to give at this level, to be able to make this kind of a difference for one organization. There are plenty of people doing it. Well, certainly not as many as there could be, but there definitely are, are people doing it with incomes that, that are not uh, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. One of the other findings of your study, Ron, that I found fascinating is that uh, for the average mid-level donor, two-thirds of their giving is going to their favorite organization. So they, they really picked an organization that they care a lot about, and they might give to others, but it's just probably a pittance to these other organizations and that, that they really focus on one. Um, so I guess one of the things that that means is that that if you are that one organization, if you're a ministry leader and you are that one organization for that donor, you'd better work pretty hard on maintaining that relationship. And if you're not that organization, um, I guess you should work towards either getting in that position or or what, Ron? I mean, is that is that a situation where you should say, well, listen, I'm not the... I'm not the number one, so I'm never going to really get that much money from this donor. I should move along and develop more relationships with other people. What, what's your What's your advice on that situation? Well, I think it's I think it's hard for organizations to look at an individual giver and make a decision about that simply because that organization doesn't know what they're giving, what that individual is giving to other organizations. So if right. you're getting $200 a year from somebody, you don't know if that's the entirety of their giving or if they're giving 10000 to somebody else and you're just kind of an afterthought in the giving. I think it's what's really critical for organizations is what can they do to build relationships with people to, and, and not just with the, the more generous people, with the higher income people, but to build relationships with all types of donors. Um, certainly, you talk to any major gifts officer at, a, at an organization, and they'll tell you a story of somebody who gave a $50 gift and six months later gave a half a million, right? It, it, it doesn't always start with a large gift. So a lot of it is what are you doing to make the donor feel like the donor is having an impact, like my money is going to change things. My money is going to have an impact. This is one of the reasons the child sponsorship organizations have grown so much and been so successful is a common complaint for, for donors. I just gave 50 bucks towards, let's say, the earthquake in Haiti or the famine in Africa or whatever it is. It's such a monumental problem. What's my 50 bucks really going to do? But with child sponsorship, they feel like they're giving to help one individual child, which makes it a lot more likely that they're going to want to continue that relationship. Now, with sponsorship, the organization is helping to foster a relationship between a donor and an individual child or a child's family. When you're not doing any kind of a sponsorship, you still need to look for ways to foster relationships, which that makes one of the findings of the study particularly disappointing, which is that among mid-level donors, and these are people that organizations know 
are giving at, at a 1500 or more, and it's usually the or more part per year or a single gift of $1,000. So they know what they're getting from these organizations. But among mid-level donors, 50% have no personal contact at the organization they're supporting at the highest level. So they have nobody that they can call for a question, call to see if uh, you know if they can get an annual report or they heard a rumor they're not comfortable with and they want to confirm how things are being done, whatever that may be. And that's that's a massive failure on the part of these organizations. And, and, I, and I, I want to be clear that when I'm, I'm talking about what organizations can do better, we're not just talking about Christian ministries, because one of the other things we found is that half, uh, and these are evangelical Protestant mid-level donors, that's who the study is among, half of evangelical Protestant mid-level donors are not giving the largest amount, their largest gifts to faith-based organizations. They're supporting entirely secular organizations like um, uh, Save the Children or American Cancer Society or the Humane Society, things like that. So any of these criticisms that I'm leveling at, uh, at organizations, uh, those are not just directed at Christian ministries. This is not; These are not issues that are... Uh, that are applicable only to Christian ministries, and many secular nonprofits are dropping the ball on some of these areas. Well, I, I'm sure that's true, Ron. Um, but on the other hand, it sounds to me like they're doing a better job than Christian organizations are in some ways. Because I mean, if 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 I'm an evangelical Christian donor, and I'm giving most of my giving to a secular organization like Red Cross or or uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital, which we've written exposés about St. Jude Children's Hospital here at Ministry Watch, um, that tells me that that St. Jude is probably doing a much, much better job of communicating with the evangelical donors than evangelical organizations are communicating with the evangelical donors, which I find to be candidly somewhat distressing. Well, and I, and I can certainly understand why you feel that way, because a, a secular organization is able potentially to get gifts from any type of an individual. Whereas a ministry like a, a, a Precept Ministries or Kids Alive or Turning Point with, with Dr. David Jeremiah, whatever Christian ministry it might be, these are organizations where, by and large, their audience is limited to, to faith-based individuals, in some cases to evangelicals, in some cases to a broader Christian audience. But they have a much smaller pool, in a much smaller pond in which they can fish. And so to see so many of those fish going to the the larger ocean of secular organizations, you, you have to think there's there's some disappointment there. Now, in some cases, that's because they, the people want to support an area like mom gets breast cancer. And so I feel the need to give towards breast cancer research. Well, I, I really don't have much of an option of giving to an evangelical ministry doing that. Uh, but in many cases, an organization like a child sponsorship organization, you've got plenty of really good faith-based organizations like Compassion and World Vision and uh, Kids Alive and others like that. If you're an evangelical, then you can support without having to go out and support an entirely secular organization. Yep. Ron, one of the other, we can't go through the entire list of findings, but let me just stipulate for the record that we will have a link to this study on our website, and uh, so you'll find that in the show notes, so you can read the entire study. But Ron, just hit a couple more hot points here. One of the things that you find is that there's no evidence from this or other studies that higher giving outside the church 
reduces giving inside the church. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Those who give more outside the church also give more inside the church and vice versa. Say more about that finding and what questions it motivates from your point of view. Well, what we look at, again, is generosity. And we see an absolute direct one-to-one correlation between higher giving outside of church and higher giving inside of church. And I I won't quote you a whole bunch of numbers there in the study, uh, but this and other studies have shown that consistently. Going back, we did work in 2010 that that showed exactly the same thing uh, among just American donors in general. And so what we find is that when people learn generosity, that they learn to give more to their church and they learn to give more outside of church. People who give on average 1% of their income to church give on average a low percentage of their income to to charity and vice versa. People who give on average 3 or 4% to their church give a higher proportion. People who give on average 5, 6, 7% to their church give a much higher proportion to outside charities. And the exact same is true in reverse. So there is a one to one. These numbers move in absolute lockstep, whether we're talking about donors, evangelical donors, evangelical mid-level donors. And in fact, I have a, I have a meeting that's set uh, for this week with a large ministry that when I sent the, when they requested the report, they said, we are having exactly this problem with pastors. A lot of pastors don't want to let us into their church to talk about poverty because they feel like if somebody gives through their church to us, that's money the church isn't going to get. And we see consistently that a rising tide lifts all boats when it comes to this topic. Those who have learned generosity, generosity have learned it inside of church and outside of church. It's not that once generosity to charities goes up, giving to church goes down. That's, that's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Well, and this is not really the subject of your study, Ron, but one of the things that I have found in my experience, too, is that capital campaigns do not rob from the operating budget either, that uh, I know sometimes uh, pastors and, and church leadership say, well, we don't want to do this building campaign because our church is in a, you know, we're barely making our budget right now. My experience in every single capital campaign I've ever been involved with for a building or, you know, whatever, is that capital giving has increased operating budget giving um, rather than the other way around. So as you say, gener- ge- the the really, the X factor here is generosity. Are your people being generous or not being generous? And if they are being generous, then they're going to give more to everything, not just to one thing or two or three things. Um, Ron, we need to bring our time to a close. I did want to mention one other thing, though, and this may not be, you know, exactly um, uh, new data for a lot of our listeners, but uh, you you say that the most common channel for donating is the organization's website, followed by an automatic charge or to a credit or debit card, and then third, mail. And I think that, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been probably just the opposite of that. It would have been mail, maybe an automatic debit to the credit card second, and website third. I, I don't think it's a surprise that... Um, that maybe the order has flipped. But my question for you, and this is not directly in the study, but I'm just wondering what your gut tells you. Does that mean that ministry should abandon direct mail? Or is there synergy between these three methods of payment? 
Well, if you talk to, uh, and certainly had you had you spoken to somebody from BBS and Associates, our partners on this study, uh, they have a lot more experience with multi-channel than, than I do as a researcher. But what we constantly see uh, is that uh, people don't get something in the mail and then give through the mail. And that's the only contact they have in the organization. And I chose mail for that. People don't go to the website, see only what's on the website, give through the website and get no other contact. It is very frequent that somebody will get something in the mail and say, oh yeah, you know what, that reminds me. I haven't given to them this month or I haven't given to them in a while. Or, wow, I didn't know they're doing that. They're now drilling wells. I, 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 that's really near and dear to my heart. Let me. Do. And then instead of giving through the mail, they will go online. Or they'll even make a call to give. So there's, there are a tremendous number of cases where people see something in an ad and then they go online. People see something in an ad and then they get something in the mail that confirms it and then they go online. Or they get an email and then when they get something in the mail, they just give that way. It's multi-channel is really, really critical. Um, and certainly when you, when you talk about abandoning mail, there are some folks, consultants, agencies that want to continually advise their clients uh, to, to keep pulling money away from mail and put it into other forms. And my, I guess my question to those consultants is, would you really take money away from your number three moneymaker and, and put it to other things? I would think you would want to take money away from your number 10 moneymaker, maybe. Direct mail is still a, a very valuable, very important method of communicating with people. And it can do more in some cases than it can communicate more thoroughly than an email can. Because you generally you get um, you get visuals in in direct mail piece. You can get um, something that's tangible. You get something people can set aside and read later. Mail benefits organizations in a lot of different ways. And I'm not saying that at the at the expense of email or the expense of automatic deduction. But all of these methods work together. And they support each other. So it just like churches versus charities, it shouldn't be seen as a competition. These different methods shouldn't be seen as a competition. It should be how do they support each other and how do they keep building a relationship with people? Yeah, yeah. Well, Ron, this is super good data. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, we'll have a link to the entire study uh, on in the show notes uh, for today's program. But before we go, Ron, uh, so much here. I've tried to pick out the things that were the most interesting to me to ask you about. Um, what am I not smart enough to ask? What did I miss in this study that you think bears a particular uh, emphasis? Anything? Oh my! Um, I think one thing that we we've not touched on is there's a there's a tendency in organizations for somebody to give a gift and then that organization to be considered or for that organization to consider that person this is now our donor because they gave us thirty dollars they gave us fifty dollars whatever and that's exacerbated when somebody's giving a thousand dollars or fifteen or five thousand or whatever this is our donor they love us they're they're going to be supporting us. Well, nearly half of these mid-level donors have changed which organizations they support in the last few years. Either they've added new ones or they've dropped an organization. So giving is not static. Human beings don't make decisions that necessarily last for 40, 50 years. 
it may be very common for somebody to give $1,500 to one organization this year, and then something else catches their attention, or they don't feel like their gift was particularly valued, or the response was tepid, or, or whatever the reason may be. And two years from now, they're not giving anything to that organization, or they're giving a pittance, and some other organization has gotten their $2,000 gift. It is critical that organizations, you know, it's, it, it's what I tell organizations, when you get married, you don't stop courting the individual if you're smart. Marriage should be a lifetime of courtship in both directions, husband to wife, wife to husband. It's got to be the same thing with organizations. Just because somebody has been a consistent giver or has been a larger giver doesn't mean that now you don't need to keep building that relationship. If anything, it's even more critical to build that relationship. But so many organizations will get that $5,000 check and say, ah, we made it with this person. They love us. And they'll keep trying to, to build more relationships to get more $5,000 checks, but they don't see the hole in the bottom of the bucket where that $5,000 donor kind of goes, huh, I didn't get a whole lot of information about what my gift did. You think for $5,000, they want to tell me what I accomplished. Maybe I'll try somebody else. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Good advice for ministry leaders and good advice for donors as well, that if you are in that mid-level area, you have, I think, a reasonable expectation to expect some uh, personal communications from the ministry. And if you're not getting it, um, you should ask for it and or maybe direct your giving elsewhere. So, Ron, thanks so much. It's always great to have you on the program. I, I always learn more when I chat with you, and I'm real grateful for the study. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time, Warren. You've been listening in on my conversation with Ron Sellers, the president of Great Matter Research, which has just published a new study called Understanding Evangelical Mid-Level Donors. Before we go, a few quick notes. First, regular listeners to the podcast know that this is not the first time Ron Sellers has been on the program. If you are a ministry leader or you're new to the program, you might want to give a listen to some of the previous appearances of Ron on the Ministry Watch podcast. His research provides insights into evangelical giving patterns that are helpful. If you want to find those, just go to ministrywatch.com and type Ron Sellers into the search engine. I also want to remind you that Ministry Watch itself is donor-supported. We take no money from the ministries that we cover. We accept no advertising. There's not a paywall. All of our content is free. Our donors are the real heroes of this story. If you would like to become a part of this heroic group, please visit us at ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Hey, and if money is a little tight, I get it. I've been there a time or two myself. You can still help the program in a couple of really important ways. Number one is pray for us. We cover your prayers here at Ministry Watch. We do what we do. We pray and we hope for the glory of God and for the service of our neighbors, our neighbors like you. So please do pray for us. And there's one other thing that you could do as well, and that is to rate us on your podcast app. That's not nearly as important as your prayers, but it is helpful. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines, and that means that other people can find us more easily. Ratings take just a second, don't cost you a dime. It's a free, easy, and important way that you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sutton. I'm your host, Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.